Let's open our Bibles today to Ezekiel chapter 24. Ezekiel chapter 24. I'm going to read a story that uh, may seem like a strange story to uh, preach from on Mother's Day. But it's what God laid on my heart. Ezekiel chapter 24, and I'm going to begin at verse number 15. So if you're there, somebody say amen. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, with one blow, I am about to take away from you the delight of your eyes. Yet do not lament or weep or shed any tears. Groan quietly. Do not mourn for the dead. Keep your turban fastened and your sandals on your feet. Do not cover the lower part of your face or eat the customary food of mourners. So the Jews had these things they would do. They were, they were great at mourning for the dead. They would do it very demonstratively. And God said, when, when I do this, don't, don't behave that way to Ezekiel. Verse 18, so I spoke to the people in the morning and in the evening, my wife died. The next morning I did as I had been commanded. When the people asked, won't you tell us what these things have to do with us? Now, God had told Ezekiel early on that he, when he called him to be a prophet, he said, I'm going to close your mouth. And so you're not going to speak. You're going to act out things. And then when I speak to you, you'll say, this is what the Lord says. So the people were quite used to seeing Ezekiel do these strange things and it would stir up their curiosity. They knew it was somehow prophetic and they would ask Ezekiel, what do these things mean? And then he would say, this is what the Lord says. So they asked him, won't you tell us what these things mean? What they have to do with us? So I said to them, the word of the Lord came to me, say to the house of Israel, this is what the sovereign Lord says. I'm about to desecrate my sanctuary, my temple, as some translations read. The stronghold in which you take pride, the delight of your eyes, the object of your affection. See, just like Ezekiel's wife was the delight of his eyes and the object of his affection, and just like I took the delight of his eyes away and he was not allowed to weep, well, the delight of your eyes is the very temple that you boast in. You live how you want to live, but you think you're okay because you can go to church. You can go to the temple. So I'll take away the temple. I'll take away the delight of your eyes, the very object of your affection. And look at this line at the end of verse 21. The sons and daughters you left behind will fall by the sword. And you will do as I have done. You will not cover the lower part of your face or eat the customary food of mourners. 
You will keep the turbans on your heads and your sandals on your feet. You will not mourn or weep, but will waste away because of your sins and groan among yourselves. Ezekiel will be a sign to you. You will do just as he has done. And when this happens, you will know that I am the sovereign Lord. How many of you know God is sovereign? Do you know what that means? You're not, and I'm not. Can I just tell you that when it comes to God's sovereign will, my opinion and your opinion does not matter one bit. You and I have no sovereignty. He is sovereign. Verse 25, and you, son of man, to Ezekiel, he says, on the day I take away their stronghold, their joy and glory, the delight of their eyes, their heart's desire, and their sons and daughters as well. On that day, a fugitive will come to tell you the news. And at that time, your mouth will be opened. You will speak with him and will no longer be silent. So you will be assigned to them and they will know that I am the Lord. Would you stand with me? I want to talk to you this morning on the, on the story of Ezekiel's wife, the story of Ezekiel's wife. Let me pray. Father, I thank you that you, the sovereign Lord of all creation, would meet us in your house, in your place of worship, and that you would just speak to our hearts. I thank you. And I pray that this day your anointing would just rest in this place on all who hear and Lord, that you would put your thoughts in my mind, your words in my mouth. And I pray that just like you told Ezekiel, that the people are hard, but I'll make you harder. I pray that you'll make me hard enough to speak what you would have me to say to all who hear your word. Change us by your word, sanctify us by your word, and we give you praise and glory in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. <clears throat> God bless you. Wow. What a story. Hmm? It is if you're Ezekiel or if you're Ezekiel's wife. And you've heard, you've heard me say this before, probably about other stories. I'm going to say it about this one. This is one of those stories that I don't believe I ever remember being depicted on a flannel graph board in Sunday school class. Imagine teaching that lesson. Hmm? And honestly, this is a story I've preached through most of the Bible, probably all of the Bible. I've preached on just about every portion of Bible or taught on just about every portion of the Bible, probably in my 35 or six years of ministry. And this is one I haven't preached from a whole lot because it's kind of one of those stories that just punches you, doesn't it? I mean, it's, it's, it, some people think, well, that's not a very good feel-good story, and, and here it is Mother's Day. <laughs> so y'all know that I pray and I, I seek God about what, he would have me to say when I stand in his pulpit on Sunday. Amen? Amen? And I've done that for years. One of the prayers I've prayed for years is that God 
when I'm getting ready to preach anywhere, I'll ask him to guide me, speak to me, put your thoughts in my mind and your words in my mouth. And, and he, he guides me, he shows me, he speaks to my heart. And uh, I'm saying all that, I guess, I guess I don't need to stall any longer. I'm just going to tell you. I have some hard things to say this morning. And it's, they're, they're, it's not hard for me to say these things. It's hard for some people to hear them or to receive them. And it's, it's hard. And interestingly, God did tell Ezekiel, by the way, in the beginning, he said, I'm sending you to a people whose hearts are hardened and they will not hear you. They won't listen to you. But you have to say what I tell you to say. And he said to Ezekiel, I'll, I'll make you harder than they are. The name Ezekiel means God will harden. And uh, so, you know, I, I feel I would be remiss if I didn't say this to you. I'd be a bad pastor. I would be a poor pastor to you if I didn't say to you the things that God has burdened on my heart this morning. And I even prayed about it and reminded God it's Mother's Day. I, do you ever, do you ever, it's like God doesn't know these things. You say, God, you know, it's Mother's Day. Are you sure that's a good day to say these things? And, and this is what I felt in my spirit. I felt him speak to my spirit and say, there's not a better day to say some of these things. That, and I thought, well, you're God. <laughs> you're sovereign. And so here we go. <clears throat> I guess I should also begin by saying, I love you. I want you to know that. I love every one of you. And I don't just say that to the people sitting here in our building on a pew. I'm saying that to the people who watch our program through our media ministry. I love you. And in fact, I, I'm, I, I'm, everything I'm going to say, I'm, I'm, I'm going to say from a heart of just compassion and love. And I want you to know that. And um, in fact, I'm saying it because I love you. All right. I hope by the end of the service you'll still love me, and I hope, I hope more than that. I hope you'll know the love of God through Christ Jesus that I do, that I know. Well, the story I'm preaching from today—it um, may not seem like the best Bible story to preach from on a day like Mother's Day, but you know what? It would be if I wanted to tell a young couple starting out their life together not to take each other for granted. Or not to, you know, to be careful not to take lightly the things that we really cherish, not, not to hold them frivolously, but to cherish them, right? I mean, older couples and older people who've experienced loss of loved ones, you know, they, they tell the younger people and the younger families, if you love that person, tell them and don't wait till tomorrow. And it's a good story to begin with when the message of God to us is to never take for granted our relationship with him. You see, if you love someone, you can't treat that person however you think you want to treat them. And you can't treat them badly and, and, and think and assume that that relationship's just going to be good and, and still be there. And, and that's the story. That's what's happening in the lives of God's people. Basically, it's what I feel God wanted me to speak about. 
is how, you know, in Ezekiel, they're, they're treating God like they don't love him while saying they do. And they're saying, we've got the temple. We've, we've, see, this was at a time when, when there were Jews taken captive in Babylon and yet there were a lot of Jews left in Jerusalem and Jerusalem hadn't fallen yet. It hadn't been destroyed yet. And the temple had not been destroyed yet. And the Jews in Jerusalem thought they were okay. Even though the whole thing was happening because of sinfulness, God said, you're in rebellion and sinfulness. You've hardened your hearts. But they thought, well, we're okay because you know we're in Jerusalem, God's holy city, and we have the temple. And so God had to teach them a lesson about the delight of their eyes and about not taking it for granted. And as I was preparing to preach this morning, I was thinking about, you know, in, in recent news, I, I just think about it, the church, you know, I thought for for. Most of my lifetime, I grew up thinking church is always going to be here, right? I grew up thinking that we'll, we'll go to church every week and nobody can stop us because we live in the United States of America. A couple of years ago, we walked out of church one Sunday and didn't know we wouldn't be back for a while. And I'll be honest with you, I got to missing church, y'all. I mean, I, I, you're probably thinking, well, pastor should miss church if he's not there. Yeah, I know, but I really got to missing church. And when, when God takes away the delight of your eyes, maybe it's something that you just, you don't know you're doing it, maybe, but you just kind of take it for granted. And well, you, he takes it away and you go, wait a minute, God, I missed that. We've been watching some of the some of the stories unfold. One of the classes I used to teach in, at the college was a, a class called Marriage and the Family. I taught it for years. And, uh, and here I am a pastor. And it was a, it was a state university. It was, and uh, I say that because I don't know if you've noticed, but Marriage and the Family's changed a bit. Right? I mean, raise your hand if you sit here this morning and go, I would have never thought I would have seen it in my lifetime. Raise your hand. <laughs> yeah. And so I had kind of a, maybe, maybe kind of a unique approach in teaching that class. I don't know. There may be others that taught it this way too. But my, my approach to the course and to the subject matter, I would present the subject in light of, not, not just in light of current marriage and family trends, but I presented marriage and the family in light of the changes that have occurred just in one generation of time. Which, you know, is what, 30 or 40 years of time. And so changes of all the various aspects of marriage and family life. Let me tell you something. You don't run out of stuff to teach when you're teaching it that way. Because there have just been so many changes and some of them you know, we, we kind of shake our head at and go, wow, we are educated beyond the level of our intelligence. God help us. Give us some wisdom again, God, in this, in this world. And so I taught from, from an approach of comparing what used to be with what we have now in our society because I wanted my students to know. 
Not, not, just, not just what we have now, but I wanted them to know <clears throat> how it used to be for their parents or their grandparents before things got so messed up. Because you see, I've learned that if you live long enough in this world, and for those of you who've lived long enough in this world, when I say this, I hope you'll amen me here. If you live long enough in this world, I've learned that you will come to a point in your life where you long for how things used to be. So I wanted them to know. And, and so, you know, lately we've, we've seen a couple of things in the news that are, have to do with marriage and the family. I don't know if you've been watching. One of them is... In the last few days, people have just been fixated to screens watching a trial unfold before the world. Not a criminal trial, but a civil one. Civil trials are not civil, y'all. That's just a... <laughs> there, apparently there is an actor and an actress who used to be married. And listen, I don't want to... One of them might be your favorite actor or actress, and I don't want you to get mad at me. So I'm not on a side. I'm on God's side. Let's just put it that way. But apparently they used to be married and now they're not. And after their divorce, one of them said bad things about the other and said, you know, they were a, a victim of abuse. And, and, and so the other one sued that one. And now the, we're, we're getting to watch just this graphic testimony about their marriage, their relationship. And I, I'll be honest, I'm sitting here, I, I, I've seen a couple of clips, a few, I don't sit there and just watch the whole thing, I can't handle it. But I long for how things used to be. Can, can, I, just, can I just say to maybe the younger families that are watching that trial unfold, can I just say that's not normal? And it sure isn't biblical for, for marriage and family. I mean, they talk about illegal drugs and alcohol and the fights. And I just want to say, God has a completely different plan for your home. Hallelujah. Y'all still love me? Okay, I'm just checking. And then the other day it was leaked to something else that has to do with marriage and the family that I, I just feel I would be remiss if I don't speak to it. God just burdened my heart about this. And I love you. Did I tell you I love you? It was leaked the other day to the media that the Supreme Court appears to be about to overturn Roe versus Wade. And essentially making the abortion issue a state-by-state state issue. And that just set off a firestorm. Now, let me say this, just, just apart from which side people are on, okay? And, and by the way, I'm going to tell you, God's not on your side. R remember when I said that God is sovereign at the beginning when I was reading this, and God said, I'm going to do this, and then you're going to know that I'm sovereign. I want you to understand God's not on my side and he's not on your side. God is a side to himself. Whew, I felt that one. God is sovereign. He doesn't care about my opinion or your opinion. 
God will tell you how things are, and then you can either accept that or you can reject that. And so just, just let, me, let me just say, regardless of what side anybody's on in that, it set off a firestorm of just anger, 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 furious anger. And I mean, I even saw where people were planning to protest at churches today, Mother's Day. I, I, their, their mantra is that abortion saves lives. I understand their argument. Their argument is that legal abortion saves lives, whereas illegal abortion takes lives. I understand it. But one article, it was actually an opinion piece that came up, was... Uh, one that, that, that said pregnancy is a life-threatening condition. That one hit kind of close to home for me because it was a life-threatening condition for my mother. When I was in her womb, God spoke to her through a prophet, a man of God, a preacher, a minister, and said, you will see the hand of God in this birth. And she and I both almost died, by the way. My grandmother, my dad's mother, said that's because God has a calling on that baby's life. And I'm standing here 57 years later saying God is sovereign. A life-threatening condition. I just want to say to the young families, pregnancy is not just a life-threatening condition. It is a beautiful condition. And I pray for young couples who desire to have children. And I just want you to know God has a plan. And it's not the world's plan. I get contacted by people. I've had phone calls, text messages. And because you see, my, my life is, is as a pastor. And so people, you know, will contact me and pastor, pray, pray for me. I've, you know, families are divided on this issue. And they'll say, give, give me some advice. How can I handle this and, and pray for me? And I'll, you know what I always do? I usually I tell people, you don't want my opinion. Let me just take you to the Bible because I'm a pastor. And I can, I can walk you through Scripture, and I can show you what God says about it, but it's your decision whether to accept that or reject that. And, and if you don't want me to take you through Scripture, you don't have to call me and ask me, but people call me and ask me, and they text me, and they say, you know, what do I do? And they'll ask me to pray for them. And I'm not, you say, well, how do you know you're right? And other preachers are wrong. I understand there are other preachers that, that will say they see it differently than me. Listen, you can go to two different doctors and get two different opinions. It's your decision. And 
I, I can just I can tell you that I have I've read this book from cover to cover, not once, but many times, more times than I can count. Not only have I read it, but I've committed myself to the formal study of this because I wanted to know it. I wanted to understand it. Do you understand when God called me, one of my arguments with him was, God, I'm not able to do that. I was afraid I'd get something wrong. This book tells me that people who teach this book will be held to a higher standard on the day of judgment. That's what this book teaches me, tells me. You wanna know why I went to Bible college and seminary? <laughs> I, don't, I don't take it lightly. I've taught through this book just pretty much from cover to cover many times. I believe that it is the infallible word of God and the final authority on all matters pertaining to life and godliness. I believe it when it says that these scriptures are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And I believe that these holy scriptures are God-breathed and are useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. That's what Paul told Timothy. So, you know, sometimes people will call and ask me to pray with them about this and give them an opinion. And, and I'm, I don't say this to sound boastful at all. I don't. I'm kind of like the guy that said when it comes to the word of God, it's not the things I don't understand that bother me, it's the things I do understand. I think I'm fairly good at rightly dividing the word of truth. So people ask me. And some people don't want to know that. They don't want to hear that or they'll explain it away. But listen, I'm, I'm going to say this. You cannot rightly develop your own personal theological beliefs about an issue like this apart from God or apart from God's word just based on your personal opinion or your personal feelings or your personal desires. In fact, when you do that, you put yourself in the very place of God. And that's the story of Ezekiel chapter 24. They were taking God for granted. They were coming up with their own beliefs about things. They were living in blatant rebellion and sin and treating God as if his opinion doesn't matter, as if he's not sovereign. And so God had to do all this stuff, he said, so when I'm done, after I've done this, you will know I'm sovereign. And sometimes God has to take away the delight of our eyes to get us to see just how precious his blessings are to us and not to take something for granted like church and God and our relationship with him just like a husband and wife shouldn't take their relationship for granted. Hang on a second. I love you. Do you still love me? Just checking. Sometimes God takes away the delight of our eyes to bring us back to a place of longing for 
the way things used to be and appreciating it. So that may be the longest introduction to a message I've ever given. I know some of y'all are going, what did he just say? We're leaving at 12. <laughs> I'll hurry. Let me, let me talk about the sons and daughters you left behind. Notice that there are two references to this in verse number in chapter 24, he, he says, the sons and daughters you left behind are going to be destroyed. And a little later, he says, I'm going to take your sons and daughters away from you. So if you were to read this whole chapter and, and really the whole book, earlier in this chapter, there's this story of the meat in the cooking pot. And here's kind of the, the short version of that. God uses this, it's kind of like a, a parable almost of the meat in the cooking pot. Take the choice meats, put it in the pot, boil it down. And, but he says, don't, don't just cook it. Boil the meat out of it. <laughs> I was trying to think of a word to use there when you overcook something in the kitchen and you go, well, I... I cook that to death, right? Or something. He, he said, you boil it. And here's, what he, here's the thing. The Jews in Jerusalem and the Jews in Babylon. Jews in Babylon are captive. But the Jews in Jerusalem are saying, well, we're the choice cuts of meat. God likes us. He loves us because we've got the temple. We've still got his holy city. And here they are living in blatant sin, just disregarding God's command, clear command but we've got, the, we've got the temple. We can go to the temple anytime we want to. We're good. Does that sound like any, any nation you know of nowadays? We're good. Well, we got church. We've, we've, we have churches that will accept whatever you want to do and whatever you want to live. You can find a church that has a name on the door and go to it. And, the, and you can feel accepted if that's what you want. But now, now here's the thing. God told him this story about this this pot of meat. And God said this, you think you're the choice cuts? You're not the choice cuts, you're the butchers. That's what he, that's what he told them. And he said, I'm going to cook you all right. I'm going to cook it until the water boils out of it, until you can't recognize what's in the pot, and until you can't even recognize the pot. I'm going to, has anybody ever melted a pot? You cook something so long that it just, you couldn't even hardly tell it was a pot. God said, that's what I'm going to do. And he said, I'm going to destroy Jerusalem. And this is where he told Ezekiel, and I'm going to take away the delight of their eyes, which was their glorious temple that no other nation had. And he says, you've left behind your sons and daughters. He says it kind of twice. You've left behind your sons and daughters. And so if I was teaching marriage and the family today to the younger students in my class, I would want to teach them what life used to be like for their grandma and grandpa and for their mom and dad and not just how things are today. Because if ever there is a nation that has left behind their children, I'm afraid it might be us. 
You say, well, what do you mean? Well, if I had time, I'd teach marriage and family from what it used to be to what it is now. But I can tell you at my age, I'm thinking, what are my grandchildren going to face? What's it going to be like for them? I think God would say to probably this nation that you need to, you need to understand that the presence of the church doesn't, doesn't guarantee that you are okay with me. I can, I can take away the delight of your eyes. Watch me just, they, they've been shedding innocent blood. Well, I'm just passing up things here. <laughs> We've shed innocent blood. Lots of it. So God reminds them, you should be going to the temple and setting an example for your children and leading them into the ways of God. Do you understand? God told them, he he told them a long time ago, he said, listen, here's what I want you to do. When you walk with your children along the road, I want you to talk to them about me. When you lie down at night, tell them about me. When you sit at the table eating, talk about me to your children. Tell them about me. Tell them how I brought you out with a mighty hand, how I parted the Red Sea and provided manna in the wilderness for you. Teach your children that you can't make it through this life without me tell them but you've left them behind Uh, let me just move on let me talk about when God takes away the delight of your eyes have you ever have you ever lost anything valuable something that just I don't know you, you either lost it or it broke. It, it can break your heart, <laughs> can't it? I'm thinking of things like, oh, for me, it would be maybe a nice fishing rod or a gun or, or I don't know what it might be for ladies. Maybe it's a purse that you really liked and the strap broke one day and it's like, oh, oh. But what if it's something really valuable? What if it's something that's so valuable to you that you would call it or that God would call it the delight of your eyes? That's something that matters more than anything in the world to you. I'm, I, I, and, and, and what matters most, by the way, let me speak to even those watching our program. Let me, let me just say to the younger generation, what matters most in this world are not things, it's people. It's relationships. And the most important relationship is the one you have with God. And so God spoke to Ezekiel and he said this. He gave him a day's notice. He said, with one blow, I'm going to take away the delight of your eyes. Imagine you're Ezekiel. You get up one day, you're going about your normal day, and all of a sudden God speaks to you and says, with one blow, I will take away the delight of your eyes. And when I do, you're not to act like someone who's grieving. You can mourn quietly. But you can't openly display any grief because I take away the delight of your eyes. So Ezekiel gets up in the morning and he speaks to the people. And that evening, just like that, his wife, whom he loved, He delighted in her. His wife died. He buried her. 
He didn't have a funeral. He didn't grieve openly. He went about his business. You know, I've, I've studied the life of the prophets. I've studied the Old Testament prophets. I'm, I, I'm, I've often said I'm so glad I'm not an Old Testament prophet. But I'm also glad I'm not an Old Testament prophet's wife. Lots of prophets paid high prices to be a prophet. It cost them dearly. Ezekiel may have paid the highest price of any Old Testament prophet. I mean, there was one prophet whose wife went down and prostituted herself and he had to go buy her out of the slave market. That's pretty bad too. But Ezekiel's wife died. Happened just like God told him. And one translation reads, the desire of your eyes. It's something, she was his, she was his heart's desire. He loved her more than anything. She meant the world to him. You say, well, that's not fair. That's not fair that God would take a man's wife to make a point to his people. In fact, I kind of had that same fleeting thought as he was leading me and guiding me. I was preparing this. I thought, well, that's kind of harsh, God. You took a man's wife. You, you, you took her life. to make a point that you all are living in sin while going to the temple and celebrating. You know, you know what, the, that still small voice, I'll tell you, whoo, it's louder than a foghorn. That little voice said, Todd, my people kill babies and aren't shocked by that. But they're shocked when I take a man's wife. I, I'll just be honest with you. I, that's just what I felt in my spirit. Maybe you don't feel that. So God took away the delight of his eyes. And when they, let me move on. <laughs> let me talk about what matters most. What matters let me, let me just ask that as a question. What is the most important thing to you? What matters to you more than anything in this world? Because let me tell you, people have, they have a list. They have, they have, there's something that matters to you more than anything. And you may not even know what it is and, and, until it's gone. I mean, what are you saying, Pastor. If you forget everything I've said today, please hear what I'm going to say. I think the nation needs to hear it. I think the church of America needs to hear this. Why did God have to take away the delight of Ezekiel's eyes, his wife? Why did God have to take the most valuable thing to him, what matters most to him? And, and here's what God has been speaking into my heart. When we turn our back on God... And when we forsake the things of God, when we, when we just walk away from God's ways and assume that everything's going to be as it always has been and God's just going to overlook our sinfulness and, and bless us. Let me tell you, this is what God has really burdened on my heart. God 
will take away what matters most to you to help you understand what matters most to him. To him. He's sovereign. The Bible is full of stories of people who God took away what mattered most to them in order to teach them what matters most to him. King Nebuchadnezzar lost his mind so that God could, and, and his splendor, by the way, so that God could show him what really matters is the splendor and glory of God. King David lost his firstborn son with Bathsheba. The apostle Paul lost his eyesight on the road to Damascus. And so later he wrote to the believers at Philippi and said, everything I have lost, I, I, whatever were gains to me, I, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. I want to I know Christ and be found in him. And there are people in this world who live their whole life without even giving consideration to what matters most to God. But Jesus asked an eternally important question one day when he said, what, what does it profit a man if you gain the whole world? If you get everything that's important to you, everything you want, your way, your possessions, your if you get everything you want, Jesus said, what if you, get, what if you gain the whole world and lose your soul? What does it profit you? So God will take away what matters most to you and me to teach us what matters most to him. Let me, let me wrap this up. Pastor, why, why was this Ezekiel? What's the whole point of him not being able to cry about this? Why did God say, don't mourn openly when I take away the delight of your eyes? What's the whole purpose of that? Why were the people, why were they not supposed to mourn openly when they lost their temple? Because it happened. By the way, this happened. In history, I can give you the date. The temple was destroyed, just like God said. I'm going to take away the delight of your eyes. Well, why weren't they allowed to weep and mourn when God destroyed their temple and their the holy city? Well, have you ever have you ever known someone? And please don't shout out their name. <laughs> have you ever known someone who just lived however they wanted to live? They lived in Oh, horrible sin and made a complete mess of their life. And, and then when, when it was, when it was, when they had reaped the consequences of all their choices, all they wanted to do was just kind of whine and cry and pout and sit around and feel sorry for themselves, for the mess that they had brought on themselves. Have you ever known anybody like that? Do y'all have friends like that or is it just me? I, I've, I see a couple of head nods. Yeah. Well, God wasn't going to have any of that mess. He gave Ezekiel a day's notice and then his wife died. And he said, don't weep over her. And he said to the people, when I take away the delight of your eyes, because of your sinfulness, your own sinfulness, 
cry about it. Let me tell you, God is not in the sympathy business. I, that was a shock to some. I know I, I can feel that one come back to me. <laughs> God is not in the sympathy business. You mean he doesn't have sympathy for us? That's not what I'm saying. God doesn't coddle us. He doesn't, he doesn't pet us, pet us. God loves you enough to save your soul and to give you the truth. Boy, I'll tell you, I look at the direction we're going. Again, if I was teaching marriage and the family today, <laughs> I look at the direction we're going. And I long for how things used to be. But I would encourage any young family out there. Y'all have heard me say this so many times. Everybody needs this. Everybody needs three things. Everybody needs three things. Every family needs three things. You need a Bible, and you need to read it often. You need a good church that goes by the Bible. <laughs> and you need to attend often and regularly. And you need a good pastor who will teach the Bible and love you and pray for you. And, and listen, you may not need any of those today, but you will. If you live long enough in this world, you will. And the day you come to need them is not the day you need to go look for them. You need to already have them. And I would tell anybody in any family, you need those three things. And I hope and pray that God doesn't take away the delight of this nation, the delight of our eyes. I hope he doesn't have to, to teach us what matters most to him. Amen? Amen. I love you. And I trust you love me. Would you stand with me? And I want to say to the people watching our program, I love you too. And I always will love you regardless. Father, we stand in your house in your presence and it's Mother's Day. We celebrate motherhood, and parenting. and This is a day that we kind of reflect on family. And God, we, we stand as a church and as a part of the body of Christ. I'm talking about the church. We stand here in your presence and ask that you forgive us as a nation, forgive our sins. Open the eyes of our heart. Take away the anger. Take away the bitter divide. And I pray that you heal and restore. Give us a longing for your ways. I pray for families out there, God, that may be struggling. Couples that may be, maybe they're struggling just to make it. I pray that you will reveal their great need to have you in their home. <clears throat> Lord Jesus, that you are the answer, that your word is what they need. I pray you'll show them, God, I pray, God, for families both here in this building and, and far away that you would stir in us a, a heart of love and compassion for one another and for the things of God and that you will restore the foundation upon which you built society, the family. I pray, God, for, for couples maybe that are 
wanting to have children, I pray that you'll bless them, that you will just, as they turn to you, that you'll bless them with fruitfulness. Hallelujah. I pray for parents that feel like they have maybe not been perfect. I pray that you'll help them, God, to understand your grace is sufficient. And I pray, Lord, that you will bless families this day on Mother's Day. And we give you praise and glory and honor. And it is in the name of Jesus that we pray. And everybody said,